Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Whitney Cathcart. Whitney is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of 3D Look, the global leader in AI-first, contactless body measuring and fit solutions. Whitney has spent nearly three decades working in executive leadership positions for some of America's leading branded celebrity licensing and private label manufacturers delivering apparel products to the biggest names in retail. Whitney also holds a certification from MIT in artificial intelligence and is an expert at understanding the intersection of fashion, retail, ecosystem, and technology. Welcome to the show, Whitney. I'm so excited to have you. Jennifer, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today as a guest. That's great. Let's get started. So Whitney, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I have kind of um, a unusual journey to tech in that I, uh, didn't, I don't have a traditional technology background. I actually spent almost um, 30 years in the application space. So my background comes out of fashion and manufacturing. Um, and if you think about it, actually, and a lot of people don't look at it this way, but there, there is a technical side to making a garment in that there's a pattern made in, in the same way that you know, an architect creates a home um, or uh, an algorithm is built from you know, a bunch of numbers, say. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in many ways, it was kind of only natural that I end up on this side. But really what got me over here is that I had felt that the apparel industry and the fashion industry was kind of way behind where I saw other sectors. And I wanted to essentially kind of look at the back half of my career where I was working using technology to actually bring a lot of what I knew, my expertise of being in manufacturing for so many decades into the future. And I knew that doing that would require um, a technology foundation. And so I took some courses in um, AI and immersive computing. Um, and then nevertheless, I landed with um, a great co-founding team who are all technical. So combined with kind of my subject matter expertise and the technical chops from my co-founders, um, we've really been able to uh, build this technology and, and build the solutions and get it launched publicly and, and build our vision and make it come to life. That's amazing. So you say that um, the apparel industry was way behind. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I'd still say in many ways it is still behind. I think COVID has certainly accelerated a lot. But if you just think about 3D in general 
and you look to different sectors. So for, as an example, you think about the automobile industry who's been using 3D in design for many, many decades. The apparel industry <clears throat> has been pretty slow to kind of innovate in general. Um, you know, 3D was something that, you know, I had my first experience with as relates to fashion back in, oh gosh, I think it was 2013-ish, 2014-ish. Um, but even if you look at kind of where we are today in 2021, there's still a large part of the industry that is not using 3D yet to design. And 3D is a great tool in designing in terms of efficiency and um, lowering costs in, say, design rooms, right? So you just think about the cost that a design team incurs in actually creating samples, having those samples often made in China, and then having to be shipped back here. So I knew in general that the industry, and, and just based on the amount of Excel spreadsheets we were using, I knew in general that the industry had been kind of slow to adopt technology um, and more than just 3D. Um, and, and fit tech was an area that I was very interested in. Um, and so it was kind of a natural progression to be involved with a company that is really you know, pioneering fit technology and helping to kind of bring efficiency to a lot of the kind of old archaic ways that we go about thinking about designing product and, and bringing product to life. That's yeah, that's that's so true. So what are some of the reasons that you think they are behind? Is it cost? Is it the mindset? Is it a combination? What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly I think it's a kind of a combination of all of it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's a first of all, fit and sizing is a super, super complex problem to solve for. Um mm -hmm. garment manufacturing is is actually quite difficult. Um you know, what goes into actually making a t-shirt, I think would surprise people and in, in how complex uh, it is and, and how many different components go into it and how many people touch it. So number one, you've kind of like just the, the sheer automation of that process. Um, and it because it touches so many different types of people, it's not one technology that automates that. And there's lots of people, you know, around the world that are working on different pieces of automating that kind of ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bringing a, designing a garment, taking a pattern from 2D to 3D, that's one technology. Um, fit and sizing and creating an avatar from photos and, and uh, being able to compute measurements from that avatar, that's a different technology. Um, automation and manufacturing, that's a different technology. Um, automation and kind of last mile delivery and what's going on in kind of distribution, those are different technologies. So it's not like one technology is right for the entire industry. Um, you know, you have PLM system and ERP systems and everybody um, kind of manages their own inventory differently. So there's so much that's really not standardized that trying to bring automation to this industry is a really, really complex problem. So you've got that kind of on one piece of it. <clears throat> and then you have big legacy brands, right? That have mm -hmm. many, many layers of kind of hierarchy in there. And, uh, you know, many brands had, had, you know, very talented people who had been doing the same thing for a long time. And, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, you see in Silicon Valley and other technology hubs and, um, and you know, why tech moves so quickly is, you know, 
you you're not afraid to kind of test new ideas and if they don't work you know they 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 always say fail and fail fast it's actually really true so mm -hmm. if you're not willing to test new ideas and um you're tying everything to ROI which maybe you know which a lot of people do it's hard a lot to, it's hard to to attach ROI to emergent technology and so mm -hmm. therefore if you're not willing to test new products um, and give them a run. And if they don't work, fine. You can chalk it up to you failed and you move on to the next thing. But I think that that mindset, you mentioned that a couple minutes ago, that mindset is something that you'll see more in technology companies than you will say in, in legacy brands. And I think it's interesting to note, you know, if you look at a lot of the direct to consumer brands, a lot of the, the folks that are kind of at the Helm, the CEOs, the CMOs, the founders of these direct to, um, direct to consumer digital brands, they don't always have traditional apparel backgrounds, right? So they've gone into it kind of hitting it from a different perspective and saying, boy, what we see doesn't really work. And so they're, they're coming at it from a different perspective where they're not kind of weighed down by traditional thinking and this is kind of the process that's been used for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years or what have you. And, you know, I think a lot of, even before COVID, a lot of, of what happened to the apparel industry and kind of the, you know, apocalypse as it had been labeled over the last odd years, it was really baked on people just not really understanding how quickly technology was going to move. And, if you go back and look at kind of social media platforms too, right? So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all these, you know, platforms that some of them existed in the late 2000s, but many didn't, you know, TikTok's only a number of years old. All of these social media platforms that really have moved into and are continuing to move into quickly into shopping have really, really changed the way consumers, um, you know, embrace and, and discover and work with shopping and fashion. And really anybody can become a brand today. Um, and that ability to do that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago was much, much more difficult. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of what we've seen happen on top of kind of mobile compute, and you know, after iPhone was released in 2007, but really what happened in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and so forth, or up till today, actually really, really was the biggest disruptor in, um, I think, a lot of this, um, you know, retail apocalypse that we've seen over the last decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved your analogy of the um, always focused on ROI, because, um, you know, technology companies, they focus on R&D, you know, they're always testing, they're always, if it fails, it's okay, you know, we'll try it again. And that's all built into their ROI, but a different mindset might be if we fail, then we don't get a return. So it's really interesting to, to learn more about the, that thought process. Um, well, you can, you can, you can actually, you know, basically dot the line to companies that, you know, were fabulous brands that certainly I grew up with that don't even exist anymore. Yeah, and right. those types of companies who really moved too slowly and misunderstood how quickly the consumer 
was going to go digital are just not even around anymore. And I think we'll see many more of those types of, um, you know, bankruptcies and ultimately shutting down happen. Um, and if you think about it, it's really all driven by the consumer and <clears throat> which is what retail is all about. But if you look back, you know, 50, 75, 100 years ago, we were designing things for the consumer because we knew what the consumer looked like. And we mm -hmm. kind of lost that over the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And today, with the consumer in the driving driver's seat, because she has so much exposure, number one, to information, but number two, we have so much exposure to her. So how are you using that data to actually drive better consumer experiences? Certain brands, certain companies have understood this better than others. Amazon's probably the best example of that. But we don't all only just shop at Amazon. So my point there is there are, there's huge opportunities for companies to use technology and do a better job, not just communicating with the consumer, but then being able to take that information that you're getting from the consumer and use it in a way, ultimately, that better serves the consumer. And whether that is making better products, making better fitting products, getting it to the consumer faster, um, and being able to show her things that are going to fit her based on who she is uniquely. All, and it all, really, it all kind of drives back to personalization. And in order to do a better job with personalization, you need a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no better time um, than now with capturing that data. It's so precious. There's so much information, but you really have to know what to do with it. You know, we, we do a lot of training on Power BI and, um, you know, big data, and it's great to have all this data, but learning how to analyze it, learning how to learn more about the consumer and then wrapping it in a package back to the consumer is not always the simplest. So very, very true. Lots and lots of data. So your career has been in delivering apparel products to the biggest names in retail. Can you kind of expand on that for our listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, I started in a, you know, traditional sales role in luxury back in the late uh, 80s. I'll date myself. Um, I've always been on the business side of fashion. Um, I've always worked at, you know, more on the sales and product side, you know, merchant side. Um, and I, you know, work for brands that, um, you know, serve companies from, you know, Bergdorf Goodman and Sachs and Neiman's. Um, I was around through kind of the 80s and the 90s, kind of the rise of the teen mall and a lot of the teen brands, um, certainly fast fashion. You think about kind of the, a lot of the players who aren't even here today, um, you know, Zara, the beginning of Zara and the Goliath mm -hmm. that Zara is today. Um, but I spent the bulk of my career in uh, women's apparel, women's and kids apparel, and, and did a lot of uh, building private label brands for uh, some of the biggest retailers in the U.S., um, worked with celebrities, did a lot of celebrity licensing. Um, and so my, my background really kind of expands, mostly women's. I did start men's, but mostly women's, um, and always on the business side of it, so always on the kind of design, merchandising, um, and, and product side of it, and really, you know, working with brands to kind of um, build the right product for their customers. Um, now, if I had 
understood what their customers actually looked like, um, mm -hmm. I think the fit side of it would have been a whole uh, a, a whole lot less complex. Um, and it's interesting because it it never did make a whole lot of sense to me logically why you know and I won't name the brands, but why brand A, for example, had a different fit than brand B than to brand right. C. Because right at the end of the day, none of the brands actually knew who the customers were. It was all based on kind of, you know, historical data and what sizes people were buying. But um, the ability to really zone in and, and understand what customers actually look like and be able to think about not just solving fit and sizing on the consumer side, but you know, really solving fit and sizing on the product development side, which is, you know, really ultimately the opportunity is, you know, if I always say this, if you think about it very simply, you know, we've been making for pro products for people and we have no idea what the people look like. And so mm -hmm. obviously you're going to have a misalignment there in between, you know, brand fit and, and what consumers actually would call, you know, this is a great fitting product. It's, it's still a small, a very small percent of consumers going to fit into any one brand's fit because there is absolutely no standardization in fit um, between brand to brand. That reminds me <clears throat> when um, I was shopping for my daughter's wedding, I was looking for a dress and I was at uh, Saks and the designer that I was working with, she said, don't even look at the sizes, just <laughs> try it on. And I had, you know, prior to that, I always looked at sizes and I, if it was a, you know, bigger size than I needed than I used to wear, I wouldn't even touch it because I was like, no, I don't want this. Right. But it, it is exactly speaking to what you're saying because there is no standardization and every brand has its own sizing and fit. That's exactly right. And many brands do what's called vanity sizing, which is to all, mm -hmm. you know, make us think that we're smaller than we are. I mean, look, there are certain brands where I can wear four different sizes and I mm -hmm. consider myself, you know, an expert in, in online shopping. And I'm still in certain brands, you know, buying more than one size trying it on or more than you know multiple sizes of a style and trying it on at home and and returning what doesn't fit and you know and and that's not good i mean it's it's certainly not good for the brand from a you know business perspective you know business models just can't support that and particularly as more and more of us are shopping online and COVID, as we all know has definitely sped that up um but if you think about it, um, you know, it's also terrible for the planet, too, because what happens when it comes back to the store, depending on how quickly it comes back to the store is, you know, it ends up back in the distribution center and, and you know, eventually it's going to be marked down if it's ever sold at full price. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't sold off there, it ends up, you know, could end up at one of the discounters and if it isn't, isn't sold there, it, you know, ultimately lands in the ends up in the landfill. And so you know, return rates are not good for anybody, not good for businesses and not good for the planet. And I do see that there's much more kind of education happening around that today than certainly even there was three years ago. And I think that that's a, a really good thing for the planet. I think, you know, the other pillar coming in there, if you think about it, is you've got a younger consumer who's much more aware of kind of of, of just the health of our planet in general too. And you can see it in kind of the beauty sector and also in the food mm -hmm. sector. Um, but, you know, some of the big beauty brands that launched, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years ago 
which really had a mission around sustainability and and kind of clean beauty products and you know i always think beauty comes is a little bit faster than apparel you know we're seeing that now in apparel and traceability and you know a lot of the technologies like blockchain technologies for example that are going to enable consumers to kind of look at the lifespan of that garment and what happens when they buy it and they send it back and and you know and that kind of feeds into kind of what's happening over in in re-commerce and resale and the amount of money that's being poured into um, that sector of the industry but you know you've got this you've almost got like this perfect storm of things happening right you've got you know massive advancement in in technology cpu and gpu power You've got COVID, which has accelerated the shift to online that, you know, was happening anyway, but it's it's happened much faster now. And then you've also got this consumer mindset around a healthier world and a healthier planet. And if we're all buying things and they're they're winding up in the landfill, that's not healthy for the planet. So you've got all of these kind of perfect storms happening right now that are really forcing an apparel industry to really rethink itself. And I personally think that that's number one, a beautiful thing, but number two, to be part of that is, you know, probably, you know, personally, the most amazing thing I've done in my entire career. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. That's interesting. So how do you get fit correct? I mean, I, I... You know, you said they don't even know what their uh, customer looks like. So are you then like branding and tailoring your brand to a specific audience? Um, I am just curious to know how do you get that right uh, without custom fitting each person? Well, that's a great question. And mm-hmm. it's a- it's a very complex answer. So Mm -hmm. what 3D look does, as I said, was we, you know, capture the human body from a front and a side photo that's taken by an end consumer on their smartphone. Mm -hmm. And from that, we build a 3D model from the consumer. And from that, we compute measurements. So at the core of our technology, we have customers that are using those measurements and they are adjusting pattern blocks. So they're essentially creating a custom garment for that particular mm-hmm. person. And that would be called, you know, kind of made to measure, made to order their technical nuances that are that can make the difference there. But that's really around, I, I, I now know who you are and I'm gonna make something that fits you well, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. right? And so, and there are a lot of companies even that are looking at, you know, how do we take that idea and make it to the masses? And, and, and there's some very smart people out there and we're partnering with as many of them as we can 
to help get the industry ultimately to some sort of mass customization model. But that's mm -hmm. you know five or 10 years out. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of fit and sizing, we look at it in two ways. Number one is what can we do today to help the customer do a better size of picking her size online, given the choices that she's got when she's shopping online? And number two is once you've got enough data for a brand of what the consumers look like that are shopping for that brand, how do we segment it in a way that helps the brand to understand the opportunities to add a size or get rid of a size or rethink pattern and grading rules, right? And that you do after you've got enough data of the brand's consumers. So the first thing that we do is we integrate our fit and sizing widget, which is called Your Fit, on the product page of an e-commerce website. So if I'm going to say a, a brand that sells denim and mm -hmm. I go to a specific garment that looks like I might wanna buy it, we've got a little Your Fit widget there and the consumer clicks it and we it opens up into that experience and you know we instruct them in a series of kind of you know engaging GIFs you know, you're going to take your front photo, you're going to take your side photo. And then what the consumer is getting is information about that garment. So your best size for this garment is going to be, you know, I'm making this mm -hmm. up say it's a size 27. Mm -hmm. um, we also would recommend based on all the things that we know about you that, you know, you might also want to look at this product in this size. So what we're doing right off the bat is we're doing a better job of a consumer having to pull up a size chart or pull up a bunch of information that might be on the website that says something like, the model that you see in the picture is five foot nine and she's wearing a size zero, <laughs> <laughs> which is what generally happens. So you have to take the best guess based on your size or your height and, and your weight if the weight is given or a size chart and say, hmm, I think my waist is this. And, and it's really asking the consumer to do all that complex math to uh -huh. get the right size. Otherwise, she just goes, screw it. I'm going to just uh -huh. you know buy three different sizes and I'll fill up my shopping cart and it'll arrive and I'll try it on at home and then I'll send back what doesn't fit. Well, 3D look can do that. We can do a better job that the consumer can do and we do it in you know 30 or 45 seconds. But then ultimately the real superpower there is being able to take all of that data and go back to the brand and say, and this is a real life example, is we were able to go back to one of our earliest brands and say, the reality is over 80% of your consumers are about six inches shorter. So they're a half inch shorter then your base size fit model. So if you're selling bottoms, pretty likely you're gonna have an inseam problem there. So mm -hmm. ultimately you're helping the brand use data to better serve the consumer. And that's always kind of been the mission of the company. I mean, you talked about this a little while ago, Jennifer, but like a dream for me would be that 3D look eventually would be able to get rid of sizing altogether so that mm -hmm. you become Jennifer size or I become Whitney size rather than I'm a number or a letter and my numbers and letters based on the brand change, which is very complex. If I put together a spreadsheet of all the different numbers and le letters I were based on different brands, it would be a pretty complex model. Mm -hmm. 
This is so interesting and fascinating to me. <laughs> a new kind of conversation that we really haven't had before. I love it. So, you know, we talk about data, we talk about all this information. Let's talk a little bit about AI. Um, how do you use it? Tell our audience what it is. I know many of them probably know it's artificial intelligence, but just how how are you using it and how is it changing your world? Yeah, so um, so we use actually, you know, three different types of AI. I'm going to say this from a very high level. So uh, we use a combination of computer vision and machine learning and 3D. And the computer vision algorithms basically are identifying the human body on that on a photo. So we get that front and side photo. And what we're doing is we're using computer vision to identify the human body and block out the background so that you know we don't have to put a lot of restrictions on where you're taking that photo. Because part of it is in the core technology and the accuracy there, but part of it also, and, and I would argue as important, if not more, is in the consumer experience, right? So we don't wanna have to say, you know, you need to get on X background um, and it's gotta look perfect because if you're taking the consumer experience away, then nobody's gonna use it. But nevertheless, our computer vision algorithms and computer vision is a piece of AI, right? It's basically teaching a computer to to be under to be able to understand things. So our computer vision algorithms can identify the human body on any background in tight fitted clothes. Then then we identify key points on the body. We delete those photos. So while we're processing, we are we have blurred backgrounds and we have blurred the 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 head so we can't identify anybody. And then once we compute and generate a 3D model which is using machine learning and using 3D algorithms. So we've got a, a statistical model there. We actually delete those photos. And our, our, our machine learning algorithms, our neural nets, which is basically a fancy way of saying deep learning. So how many times are you kind of training a model, right? To identify, say the difference in between a cat, like a kitty cat and a tiger, that would be deep learning, right? So, or how many different shades of pink are there, for example? What's the difference between rose versus fuchsia versus magenta, except, mm -hmm. you know, trying to give big world examples here. Um, but our, our neural nets have been trained on a data set that we collected early on of people in front and giving front and side photos wearing clothing. Um, and also a group of uh, a large data set of people that we actually manually measured. So there was a lot that actually went into building our algorithms and getting us to a place that we were accurate enough to be able to even begin to test the product with our customers and the consumer. And that whole process took about, um, you know, almost three years before we even came out of, of beta. So it's very complex technology. Um, if, if you think about it, getting accuracy from, you know, a consumer who's scanning themselves, it's just logically not a simple thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of talent, um, people that are way more talented than me that, you know, have PhDs and in all sorts of things, computational and applied mathematics. There's a lot of statistics involved. Um, there's a lot of um, expertise in machine learning, a lot of, we've got a lot of experts in 3D. So it's a lot of deep technical talent 
um, that 3D look has has brought in over the years. And we've got a, a group now. I mean, our team is, gosh, almost about 90 now. Mm-hmm. And over 65% are on the uh, deep tech and product side. So developers, um, product, you know, as I said, PhDs, you know, we've got an R&D team, we've got a product team. Um, so we've we've got a lot of, of world-class um, technical experts, far more technical than I am. I'm, I'm technical on the garment side, but um, I don't code. Mm-hmm. Well, you can be technical and you don't have to code. You have to understand process, you have to understand business. There's a lot of things. And I always encourage more women to think about that because you don't have to code in every technical job, you know? So it really is good that that they can see that there are so many other opportunities in tech, not just coding. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because uh, 3D look, and this isn't by design, we just naturally, you know, tap the best talent. And Mm -hmm. uh, we have two offices in Ukraine, one in um, Odessa and one in um, one in Kiev. And I, you know, I should know this right now, but um, our, our, like on deep tech side, we have, uh, females are so talented. I want to say a couple months ago, it was over 20% in the deep tech side, which is kind of great to hear in the U.S. You you just have numbers like that. Um, And it's a really math-driven society, too. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you know, and I haven't been since COVID, but I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, being part of a company that really employs um, a large percent of women in general, um, our executive team too. Um, so it's, it's, it's amazing to see, and it really, you know, to have that diversity, um, again, it's just kind of, we're tapping great talent. It's not even, you know, going out and saying we need to recruit X amount of this, that, and the other thing it's, it's really happened organically. And I'm really, you know, proud to be, part of a company who, um, you know, who feels the same way. Yeah, and they were forward thinking to understand that in order to service your customers, you need to have a diverse employee base. And um, I love that, you know, uh, 20% of women are in the deep technical place. And that's, yeah, in the U.S., you don't see that. Our numbers are declining. And so just, you know, it's it's pleasing to hear that. I think there are many cultures and many countries where, you know, I, I was talking to a woman in, in, from India, and she said the same thing. She said, you know, we are in technical roles because we know they're good jobs. They pay well, and um, they challenge us, and, you know, we love it. And so I love to hear more women in tech, but we're seeing it more in other countries than here in the U.S., yeah, I would, I would, I would say that's probably pretty true. Sadly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the women that you know, all the women that work for us are not only just hard workers, but they're, I mean, they're so intelligent and, mm-hmm. and so curious. And I think that you know, curiosity is is so important, even if you're, you know, a, even if you've got a technical background, but. Um, asking questions and and the curiosity piece, I think this in life in general is, you know, always be curious and kind of when that curiosity (laughs) runs out, you know, you, you begin to fall flat at any age. 
I agree. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I tell my staff, I tell my family, always be curious. That's how you're going to learn and continue to learn by being curious. And I love that. So I'm glad you said that. So um, you've had some incredible success and just talking to you is just so fascinating of the, the types of things you're involved with. What do you attribute your success to? Being curious. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but, you know, I, obviously I, you're intelligent yeah. and you're brilliant, but, um, you know, are there any nuggets that you can take with you and say, you know, if I didn't do this, this characteristic has really served me well to be successful. Yeah, you know, I think it's, I, I do, again, I'm, I don't want to, you know, beat a horse here, but I do think it goes back to, you know, curiosity um, and understanding that I could always be better the more I learned. And mm -hmm. I was also pretty good at kind of um, peeking around corners. And, and, and I think that's what a good merchant is able to do, right, is to figure out what does the consumer want before the consumer even knows the consumer wants it. But, and I was always pretty good at that on the, on the merchant and product side when I was, you know, back on the other side. But, you know, for me, this risk, this jumping into technology kind of, you know, late in a career, right? Most people do this early in their career. They don't wait till the end of their career to literally, you know, do something completely different. But it was this, I don't know, this sense, innate sense that I knew the industry, the future of the fashion industry was literally going to be driven in the foundation of technology. And so for me, it was, um, you know, taking, I, I took a risk and, you know, and I think that fear and all of that plays into to mm -hmm. people that are, that are able to take risks. But for me, it was all about taking risk and saying, look, I, I believe that the future of the industry is going to be baked in technology. And in order for me to take the expertise that I've, I've learned over the last 20 or 30 years and be able to do something with it in a way that was going to help the industry move forward, meant I was going to have to roll the dice and maybe even take a step backwards or kind of across the jungle gym and go learn some things that I didn't know. And I did that. And I took some courses um, through MIT specifically, and they were mm -hmm. difficult. And, you know, I didn't have a background in, in AI. Um, and I learned enough that I could be dangerous enough in a boardroom. I didn't know nearly as much as, you know, our my co-founding team. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew more than most people in the fashion industry knew. And I knew that if I was able to intersect technology and fashion, that I had an opportunity to do something magical and magnificent for an industry that I cared so much about. Um, and so a lot of it was, you know, again, I go back to curiosity. A lot of it was taking the risk and, and will be willing to do the hard work to go out there and learn something that I didn't know enough about. Um, and then just working my tail off over the mm -hmm. last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think, and I say this to my, you know, 20 year old children, but nobody is successful without a lot of hard work. And when you're in a startup, it's a little bit different than the hard work that you do in a big company, right? And a big company, you kind of know, you know, what your role is. You know, I always worked in companies where we had hundreds of people, if not more. And so you kind of, you know, you knew what your role was and it was a lot of work and a lot of travel and all of that. But there's something different about the work in a startup, right? Because you're not just doing one thing and you're looking, it's like the whole group has to work together. 
And everybody, you have to be really passionate about that thing that you're building because you're literally, you're going to work harder than any job you've ever worked at in your entire life. Being in a startup is grueling and you need an ability to be able to kind of focus on what you're doing at that exact moment because the highs and lows are so incredibly extreme. In one minute, for example, you could think that, you know, you literally have the next billion dollar idea and you guys are going to do it and you're going to be a unicorn. And the next minute you're saying, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to even hit payroll. Um, you know, we're just, we're never going to be able to do this. And you have to be able to manage those highs and lows in a way that it doesn't make you go completely crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's not for everybody, um, you know, but I think for me that I had so much passion about what it is we were trying to do here at 3D Look and so much conviction in my co-founders that from the technical perspective, we were going to be able to do it. And it wasn't going to be easy, but they, we were going to be able to do it. And so knowing that we were all in it together for a united long-term vision and mission means everything. And you have to have the passion to do it. And you have to be willing to work really, really hard because you're going to work harder than you ever could imagine. Anything you read about a startup in a, any book you read, I'm telling you, it's 50 times harder than that. Uh -huh. so, you know, the ability to be agile, the ability to get through it, the ability to not make yourself go crazy with all the highs and the lows and to really understand that you're in it for the long haul. If you think you're going to get rich overnight, you might as well not go into a startup because most fails. You can look at the statistics. Most startups don't get to A. Most startups that get after A don't get to B. The numbers are low that you're going to succeed. They're high. You're going to fail. So you better understand that it's a big market, that you're solving for a pain that you know, a lot of people find the same pain mm -hmm. um, and that you're going to be in it for the long haul. Um, and I think if you're curious and you believe in it and your, your work ethic is strong, then, you know, you, you've got better odds than if that's all stacked up against you. Right. No, I think you really stated it well. I call it grit, resilience, <laughs> um, all of those things. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of persistence. And, you know, passion has to drive you because if passion drives you, it's not going to feel like work. Right. And it's so, so important. And I can hear the passion, you know, in your voice about what you do and how committed you are for the success of it, which is so important. All right. So let's, let's do something fun next. What's your most favorite place that you've traveled to and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> many, many, many fabulous places. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I go back to Paris because I had the luxury of actually going to school there for a year, many, many decades ago. And, and every time I go back and visit it, I always say it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, I've never been to Africa and it's on my bucket list and I hope to get there in the next, I don't know, certainly decade and hopefully next five years. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I've, I've had the luxury and a lot of it because of the industry I've been in of really traveling to some fabulous places around the world in Asia. I took an amazing trip with my, um, daughter several years ago. 
uh, to Thailand and we visited mm -hmm. the northern part up in Chiang Mai and kind of the forest. And it was a very different kind of a trip than like a Paris kind of a trip, but it mm -hmm. was a beautiful place and be able to experience that with my daughter was very special. Um, I think right now, if I could be able to sit on a beach all day long and just go <laughs> and not have a Zoom or a Teams call, <laughs> no, check out absolutely check out. Yeah, I you know I think places change over over the years too, and kind of based mm -hmm. on you know what it is you're doing in your life and where you are in your life. No, that's great. Those are great great thoughts. Um, so in closing, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? And I know we talked a lot about this uh, with what you attribute your success to, but just if you had one nugget that you could give somebody who is listening, who is thinking, maybe I'll go into tech, maybe I'll try it out, what would you say to her? Well, the first thing I'd say is that if you are a woman and you love fashion and you have a background in computer science or engineering, please come over into fashion and apparel because the industry needs technologists and needs a lot of them. And I think that, you know, there, there's not, you know, when you think about what's going on in the engineering schools, you know, so many people are excited about, you know, what's the future of space and robots and arrow and all sorts of things. And people forget that, you know, fashion is actually very, very technical. And our industry needs more technologists who have a passion for shopping. Um, I think there's an enormous opportunity for people who are getting degrees in computer science and engineering and also in 3D. There's an enormous opportunity in the fashion industry and apparel and e-commerce and however you want to look at the industry. But there's an enormous opportunity there and those jobs are going to be well paid over the next decade. Um, so if you're looking at, you know, an, an ultimate role um, you know, at some of the traditional, you know, kind of, oh, I want to go to te Tesla or Facebook or, you know, whatever the next, you know, robotics company is, there's also going to be an enormous and is already today an enormous opportunity in, in the fashion and apparel sector. And so, you know, I, I hope that our schools and not just the fashion schools, but the, you know, the great schools of engineering, um, are looking into the the fashion and apparel industry because they're going to be well-paid jobs and and we need them. And, you know, on the other side, I would say, you know, if you're interested in fashion and you're, you know, you're interested in technology, you know, go into, go get yourself a technological background and study computer science and studying study data and study um, engineering and study 3D. We need so much in 3D in the fashion world. Um, and so I think the opportunities on both sides of it, whether you're somebody who's in fashion looking to expand their ability to be more hireable, you're going to need some sort of, of degree in technology. And I would, I would push for 3D in a big way. Um, you know, but data scientists in, in the fashion industry are, you know, <laughs> Are, are, are well needed already. So there's a big opportunity if you've got um, a degree or if you're currently in an engineering school um, or you're studying data science to really look into the fashion and apparel industry because it is not one where people think, oh, I'm gonna go you know, get a double E and a CS degree and, and then I'm gonna go to fashion, but actually the fashion industry really needs technologists. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. And, you know, maybe most women haven't even thought about that. So making that connection is huge because I would say a lot of women love fashion, you know, <laughs> and they can add technology to it because it's a learned skill. So that's pretty cool. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. I mean, diversity on both sides of it. It goes, mm -hmm. it, it goes both ways. Yeah, no, that's great. All right, Whitney, please share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. This was such a great conversation, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. Oh, well, Jennifer, it's been a pleasure to be here today. And yeah, feel free to uh, reach out to me. My email is uh, Whitney at 3dlook.me. Um, you can also go to our website. Uh, we've got all the information in there about how to reach us. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn, Whitney Cathcart, um, and feel free to reach out. Um, it's been a pleasure to be here with you today. That's great. Well, thank you. It was an honor having you on the show, and I hope to have you on the show soon again. Well, thank you. Honor goes my way as well. Great questions and great conversation. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.